Welcome to this special Citrix podcast episode to celebrate International Women's Day in 2021. I'm your host, Sharif Sadiq, Senior Vice President for EMEA at Citrix. It's important for me to recognize International Women's Day because in a global economy of different cultures, companies and customers, diversity is key to business success. Only a diverse environment, including gender diversity, ethnic diversity, and a plurality of backgrounds and experiences can bring the differentiated points of view that business leaders need for strategic decision-making. But diversity doesn't just happen on its own. It must be fostered carefully, consciously, and continuously. I grew up as the only son with three sisters. So I was surrounded by women, including my mother and sisters, whose strength of character had a huge impact on my formative years and my whole life. Growing up in Egypt, it was unfortunately the norm at that time for men not to lift a finger at home. So I watched my mom being the home carer, the educator, sometimes the peacemaker, while at the same time managing her own very successful career, being one of the first women to work in a computer department in one of Egypt's largest businesses. I also saw that I was afforded opportunities that my three sisters never got just because I was the boy. And yet, I also watched as my sisters grew up to become bedrocks of their families in the same way my mother was for us. I have always been in awe of my mom and my sisters, their fortitude and what they have achieved. These early experiences are among the main reasons why I am passionate about gender diversity and ensuring that women are offered the same opportunities as men in the workplace. In the last few years at Citrix in EMEA, our leadership team has grown from zero female executives 10 years ago to 43% today. My goal is to drive this to 50%, but for now, at least we have reached critical mass on the path to gender diversity within the executive team. However, when I look at the broader EMEA population, we have only 23% women, something we definitely need and want to improve. Diversity just doesn't happen, just as I said. It's a constant work in progress. We need to re-accelerate our efforts to drive opportunities for women overall, even though we have made progress at senior levels. Today, I have three guests with me, Asil Akram Al-Shahab, Domain Specialist and Systems Engineer at Citrix Middle East and Africa, Claire Layton, our Enterprise and Marketing Manager, also at Citrix in the UK, and finally, Sue Henley, Head of Inclusion and Wellbeing at the UK Department of Work and Pensions. Sue, maybe I will start with you to tell us a little bit more about yourself. So I head up the um, inclusion and well-being, as Shuri said, for the Department of Work and Pensions in the UK. This is uh, a department which has over 100,000 employees and forms part of the overall civil service. My role as head of inclusion and well-being really focuses on um, looking at all of the protected characteristics and how we drive an inclusive culture across a very broad organization and also we know that well-being is a key driver for inclusion and, and a lot of the uh, interventions that we have there for the organization is to enable us to look at particularly around mental health and physical health of our employees. Great thanks Sue. Uh, Asil maybe we move to you next to tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Thank you, Sharif. My name is Asil Shihab, and I'm the Domain Specialist for Workspace Intelligence at Citrix, covering EMEA and based in uh, Dubai. My passion and curiosity are my key drivers uh, in technology industry and uh, my career at Citrix to help our customers to adapt uh, our technologies. Thanks, Asil. Claire, maybe I move on to you now. Thanks, Sharif. So uh, my name's Claire Layton, and as you mentioned, I'm marketing manager in the UK. So I look after our financial services and insurance, central government and enterprise teams. And I've been here about a year and a half. My absolute passion outside of that is um, driving tech for good. So I'm involved in, in many things within work in, in the tech for good space. Uh, it's great to have all of you with us here today. And thank you for joining me. I would like to start by talking a bit about your career journey and your experiences, and more particularly, working in a very male-dominated tech industry. Uh, Asil, you are additionally in a particularly male-dominated department on the technology side. Uh, do customers ever respond differently to you as a woman? Uh, well, I have to say first that uh, male-dominated industries like engineering uh, can pose challenges for uh, women, feeling like you have to prove yourself, struggling to make your voice heard. And the first thing or the first impression that I get from our customers is the surprising element, being an engineer working in the field. But that was actually exciting me to prove that uh, we can deliver our jobs and we can be as much as productive as men in, in the field. Uh, and Claire, on the other hand, you're in marketing, which tends to be or to have a lot more women than other departments typically. But you mentioned in recent conversations that you still face challenges in being yourself at work. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit on that and share some of your experiences? Yeah, so so I guess um, it, it comes from, and I, I, I put it down to well, I put it down to a couple of things, really. Um, being a, a Yorkshire girl, I'm, I tend to be um, blunt and direct. And I've learned over the years to, I guess, soften my edges. And it's taken a long time for me to, to be able to feel that I've got the right to be myself at work. Claire, kind of at the beginning there, you mentioned, kind of we started by saying you're a Yorkshire girl. And that obviously will relate to our people in the UK, but maybe not outside so can you tell us a little bit about what does that mean exactly? Yeah, so so um, in Yorkshire, we have a reputation for being very direct and honest and, um, uh, as we would say, calling a spade a spade. So um, being very black and white in our thinking. Asil, I'll come back to you and kind of back to this point of you being one among very few in the in the sales engineering side and the technical side. What do you think we can do more to attract more women to that field? I believe uh, promote uh, career discovery programs, uh, especially for young female uh, students in universities, and uh, maybe expand the internship programs. Since uh, my history started like this with Citrix, I joined as an intern, and that actually gave me an opportunity to learn and uh, to connect with my peers, with my colleagues and my managers, to give me confidence and to build my experience in the technology. And I believe uh, exploring the female students and exploring their potential curiosity and passion for innovation. We can create different interests for them and expand their expertise uh, where they can explore technology in an attractive and uh, insightful way. 
That's great advice. Thanks, Asil. And yes, it's great you mentioned there how you started with us in an, in an internship role. I think um, that's that's very, very good advice. Uh, and kind of coming back to the last year and kind of what has your experience been during the pandemic? Have you had additional challenges in, in the last year? Kind of maybe Asil? I didn't have actually additional challenges as much as I had challenges that I relocated from Jordan to Dubai uh, to work at Citrix. So I left my family. I didn't have that kind of support from my family. So that was uh, a little bit hard for me uh, to handle and manage my time and adapt to work from home. But uh, working at Citrix, especially the ability and the flexibility of the remote work after I managed uh, to go to see my family, me to balance and get the support I need from my family and continue working from there for some time uh, during the pandemic, which was super helpful on uh, retaining what uh, I left from the beginning of the year of staying alone and just focus on uh, my work. Claire, anything on your side? So this lockdown has been very different from the last lockdown because I've got two boys at, at home um, and this year one of them has moved up to secondary school. My husband's policeman so we have key worker status and so I've been able to send one of my sons into school. They're, they're both at different schools so that has been enormously helpful um, only having one of the two at home through, through homeschooling. It's been challenging for sure. They're both in secondary school so you know, they, they are largely fairly self-sufficient, being able to get on with their own work, but just being, uh, I guess, within the same home environment, day in, day out, having um, all of the, the pressures of being within the same environment, the three of us, day in, day out, um, it, it's it's just been a pressure cooker environment and, and my two two boys have mental health problems of their own my my youngest has autism and so um you know they they have felt the stresses and strains of lockdown as well and so that has just created a as, as I say a, a, a huge pressure cooker environment that <laughs> has been awful at times and largely sometimes I've hidden behind work so work has been an escape for me even though I've, we've been in the same house I know my husband has felt that he has been able to escape by going off to work as uh, as, a, as a policeman he's he's actually got out of the house so yeah it, it's it's been a challenge yeah and I think I mean you, you've mentioned their mental health aspects which we will we'll come to a little bit later but I think what you mentioned about the being with children at home and all of that is something that many people will be able to relate to I mean I myself, looking after my my 14-year-old son at home while he's not school, definitely feel that as well. Uh, but kind of changing tax slightly, Sue, I mean, this this brought up something in my mind. Do you think that in general, women have to work harder or build more resilience or or rely on personal strength of character more than men do at work? I've got 30 years experience in, in business outside of my current role. And certainly that was the case uh, throughout my experience that men tend, if, if you think about recruitment, women will look at uh, a job advert, for example, and feel the need to have to do everything really well on that job description before they take the um, decision to apply for a role. Whereas men typically uh, don't feel they have to tick every box, but maybe, you know, 50% of the box and and may have more confidence in that space. So I think from that perspective, yes. But I guess 20 years on in the gender space across business, now things have moved on. 
And I think that is much less so these days. In my personal experience, women seem to be much more critical, self-critical than men and of each other, actually. So I think this is something that we need to work on. And so this is definitely something that I see in my own experience at work. Women are definitely much more self-critical. I want to move back a little bit to that topic of all of these challenges are having, particularly with the pandemic, on women's well-being. And it's interesting, we've done some uh, external research here at Citrix recently with office workers all across EMEA with about four and a half thousand participants. And what was interesting was that 40% of women said that their mental health had declined in the past year compared to only 33% of men. Uh, At the same time, 29% of women said their physical health had declined compared only to 22% of men. So it's, it's clear that the pandemic is having a more profound impact on women than men, at least from that piece of research. And, and Claire, you actually chose to speak publicly about your mental health challenges recently, which has been incredibly courageous. Um, and this sort of openness is something women are often better at than men. Uh, why did you choose to go public with that? And, and do you agree that there is strength in being vulnerable? Yes, there's, there's, there's absolute strength in, in being vulnerable. And I, I did it for a few reasons. The, the first, and, and I, I take a quote from my dear friend Winnie the Pooh here, and it's, it's okay not to be okay. And, and that's, that's first and foremost. The second, I guess, is to dispel a myth about depression and that it's not... Um, Uh, being sad and crying all the time although goodness knows there has been a great deal of of being sad and crying you can be a fully functioning a highly performing individual and be depressed at the same time and and the third was to to give myself well hopefully store up for myself a little bit of tolerance amongst colleagues so I, I mentioned about having a tendency towards being blunt and direct and and having toned that down towards myself so when I'm not in the right frame of mind some of that toning down falls off so I can slip back into the bluntness and the directness that um, people may then take in the wrong way so the the email that normally would start off you know hi hope you're well hope you've had a good weekend da 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 may just turn into a hello can you get this done please and uh, you know the, the the directness comes out so it was to to just try and get people to give me some of that patience and tolerance and, and hopefully to bear with me if I'm slipping off with some of those those filters and softer edges. Yeah, I, I definitely go back to that point around being high performing at that same time. You've won a couple of performance awards during during that period, as you said, that you were not feeling great. Uh, but also, I would assure you that you being public has had a, a big impact on on me and others that I've spoken to. Uh, around the, really that notion of it's okay not to be okay and it's something that we are now trying to drive in the whole organization and the culture of openness and expressing it so I want to say a, a big thank you for taking that lead I think helped a lot of other people. So coming back to you on this topic because I know you have a, a lot of thoughts and you've spoken about vulnerability-based leadership uh, before so please could you tell us a little bit about that? 
Um, so, um, you know, there's been tons of research done around the fact that vulnerability-placed leadership has a much more engaging impact on teams and on individuals and really creates a greater culture of inclusion, enabling people to be the best that they can be and be authentic, actually, and show up in the way that enables them to be successful. Because if your leader is showing uh, some of that vulnerability, then it feels safe for you to do so in the same way. So I think uh, vulnerability styles uh, in leadership are hugely important to drive the culture of inclusion and also one where people feel it's okay not to be okay to take Claire's comment, uh, but also to be the best that they can be uh, and vulnerable themselves. Yeah, and I think that that point around authenticity is is like really, really important in terms of of leadership. And you have to bring all of yourself, whether you're a leader or not. That's that's the only way that you can be as productive and as happy at work as you can be. From these discussions, it is clear uh, that while there's been progress, there is a lot more we could do to support women in the workplace and at home. Um, so I would love to discuss how we can take some of the learnings from the past, but also from the last year during the pandemic and build back better uh, for women once the pandemic is over. Um, so so remote work options are often seen as particularly helpful for women. Uh, but what do we need to take into consideration and how can we avoid the stigma of uh, flexible work being something that is uh, just for mothers, as some people say? Um, so I think the first thing is that we need, to, as businesses, to learn the lessons of the way that we've worked during the pandemic. We've seen increased engagement, increased satisfaction, uh, increased uh, productivity across nearly every area of work, haven't we, in the last year, which has uh, been surprising because I think that this is something that we maybe didn't expect to happen our ability now to reach people and numbers of people on a much broader scale and engage people on a large scale is much more increased than it would have been previously. We need to continue to ensure that we have transparency in opportunities which are open and fair to everybody as we move forward, which will help not just women, but all of the people who work in our organisations. But in addition to that, we need to have uh, family-friendly policies in place for everyone with shared parental leave, which are promoted through through induction and and throughout all of our career journeys um, and life events, as well as supporting networks in place to make sure that every protected characteristic or underrepresented group has the opportunity to get the support that they need. Um, In DWP, for example, we had a flagship inclusion campaign called I Can Be Me in DWP, which encourages people to share their stories, bring their whole selves to work and reaches out to people across the organisation on really important issues um, and enables them to come together and discuss those in a really positive environment. Sharif, I'd like to come in there, if I may, please, because I think what we've seen over the past year is that a number of um, society have worked from home for the first time and that there's probably been a conflation of remote working with working from home. And for some people during that time, remote working from home hasn't been the best of experiences because of 
homeschooling because of unfortunately things like um, domestic abuse domestic abuse has gone through the roof during this time and I think we need to be really really careful when we talk about things like remote working that we don't conflate the two remote working doesn't equal working from home the two are really really different and I think with Citrix, where we have such a huge history in remote working, we need to be really, really careful to make that distinction. Remote working is working from anywhere and where it works, it works beautifully. People have a choice in where they work and they can work in the place that works best for them. Working from home in this instance in lockdown era has been for some people, a really, really negative experience. And I think we just need to just make that point. For some people, it's been a fantastic experience. For some people, it hasn't. Yeah, and I think you bring a fantastic point, Claire, kind of about this distinction between work from home and and flexible work, uh, which is really about telling people, giving them the empowerment to choose the environment that will give them the best opportunity exactly to be productive that. and successful. And, and that doesn't actually mean for, for you, it's homework all the time, or for me, it's office work all the time. It's giving people the opportunity to choose. Today, I'm doing a lot of task work. So being at home and having no distractions might be the best way to do it. But tomorrow I'm working on a problem and being in the office with people might be the best way. So it's giving people that. But I think also the other thing, that we've learned definitely is that flexible work is not really about technology. The technology part is easy. It's really the culture part uh, that is important. So how do we move the organizations to have a a culture of trust so that managers don't feel that they need to to see the employee work to know that they are work? Or how do you move that we are focused on outcomes versus activities. And that's how you judge the success of people. So these are all things that are really, really critical in terms of flexible work going forward, I think. There's a lot that I've learned from from the three of you today. I mean, so it was great to hear that there has been progress over the last years but kind of I think one key thing for me is how do we make sure that that progress gets re-accelerated after the pandemic because in, as you said in some areas there's been step backs during the pandemic period um, I think the notion of you know Claire from you it's okay not to be okay um, and being open about that and having a culture that's supporting it's it's been critical um, a seal in terms of having that courage of working in a in a field that is more male dominated in a culture that also tends to be more, as you said, it's not expected that there would be an engineer uh, and the courage that that brings and the curiosity that you bring. Um, and I love this, I can be me notion from DWPF So uh, uh, it, it's really been great, but I, I just would like to close going to each of the three of you and say, if there is one thing that you would ask from society and businesses to do better to support women post-pandemic, what would that be? Uh, Claire, shall I go to you first? 
it's a small thing, um, but I would like to see that when extraordinary women are interviewed in the media, that their proper professional titles or academic titles are used. We've seen some absolutely extraordinary women who are almost the saving faces of, of society. For example, Professor Sarah Gilbert, who's behind the Oxford Pfizer vaccine. You know, you can see two professionals interviewed side by side on the media and their titles are just nowhere near represented equally. As I say, it's it's a small thing, but if two people are equal in stature and academic or professional qualifications, they should be treated as equally. And as you said, it's small things matter, absolutely. Uh, Asil, can I go to you? I would agree with Claire on uh, this point, uh, the equality and the belief in women that they can do the job and they can deliver as much as men can do in the field. In many cases, even more. I would agree with both um, the panellists here that from a media perspective, uh, from a societal perspective, it would be great uh, to see women being less pigeonholed and that actually we are positively promoting role models for the younger generation to aspire to be. You can be whoever you want to be and and reach whatever height you want to uh, and fulfil all your dreams. We just have to have inspirational people out there to look to, to know that we can do that. Uh, And there's been huge examples of so many, as Claire said, so many inspirational women, not just during the pandemic, uh, but before that. So uh, this has been such an interesting discussion and, and kind of some really, really great insights. So thank you, Sue. Asil and Claire for joining us today and and sharing your stories and your insights. And thank you for listening to this International Women's Day podcast episode brought to you by Citrix. This is Sharif Sadiq. See you all next time.